0: This podcast is recorded on the traditional and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, tsleil and Kwikwetlem peoples. I've walked your busy cities and seen your country towns. I've seen your golden sunset when evening rolls around. I've watched your dancing moonbeams upon your silver sand. To me, you're a beautiful head. Of British Columbia, I've seen your mountains high, seen your pretty rainbows and your blue crystal skies, watched your winding rivers as they flow around the bend. To me, you're not a stranger, you'll always be a friend. Coming to you from the West Coast, this is Politico's. Today is September 9th, 2021, and this is episode 256. I'm Scott Lunderbomb. I'm Ian Bushfield. Thanks everyone for tuning in. I'm being thrown off because when I look at my right, I see the streaming stream on screen and it's about 30 seconds delayed from the conversation I'm having with Scott. So thanks to everyone who's in the chat. Uh, Hopefully it's working out for you. Sorry Arsh that you're having a weird delay. Let's hope this works and we'll try and figure it out. Thanks everyone for joining us live tonight post debate. Uh, Thanks to all our patrons, especially for being there in Slack, watching live with us and just reacting to every moment of that debate. We have a few somewhat of a structure lined out, Uh, I'll be keeping my eye on the comments, but we'll try and save most questions for the end. Um, Let's just get into it, Scott. What did you think of the debate?
1: It could have been better. I, I did not like the format at all of this. I, so I watched the French debate uh, yesterday with, Well, with the English translations, and I kind of liked what they did with the journalist having some questions there, but for whatever reason, it just didn't really land in the English debate, and if anything, it felt like it really took away from it quite a bit because what, a third of the debate was basically taken up by impromptu strums between journalists and candidates?
0: I thought some of it worked better than other parts of it. Like, I get what you mean. I think the biggest challenge with a debate like this is you're trying to fit five people within two hours, as well as all the questions you want to ask. And so we don't actually get a lot of time. Like, right off the top, they're like, you're going to have 45 seconds to answer each of these questions. It's like... No one has said anything meaningful in 45 seconds, ever.
1: Yeah, that. although it's not uncommon to have shortest answers in a debate to kind of keep it moving and whatnot. It may have been better at a minute or so, but that wasn't the worst part. I think it was the fact that it was so often kind of just broken up and kind of one leader talking without actually getting into that back and forth, that is in theory why we're there. That is, That is until it turned into the over-the-top back and forth where so nobody could understand what he, everyone was saying because everyone was talking over each other.
0: Yeah, there were two different debates happening. There was the journalist talking to one leader at a time, and then there was everyone yelling at each other. Uh-huh. And I think that kind of leads us into the leaders themselves. I mean, first off, I do wanna give a shout out to the APTN journalist who I thought did ask very good questions. And I thought a lot of them were very pointed, but like you said, it didn't, we didn't get good answers, but that's on the leaders. Uh, let's go from left to right, right though on the leaders. At the furthest left of our screen was Yves-Francois Blanchet. And I don't wanna talk about him a lot tonight, but he was there and we should probably at least Why? mention him.
1: So this is, in theory, a debate where Canadians are trying to decide who they want to lead the country for the next I don't know, 18 months to two years, if we, or 18 months to four years, if we get a majority government. And there were at least a couple of people on that debate stage who would have zero chance of doing it. Most notably, Yves-Francois Blanchet, who mathematically cannot be prime minister because he's not run enough candidates to form government.
0: So I guess if you view it that way, I mean, the other way to view it is that it's a debate between people who have the strongest chance of electing someone, which is why they have criteria that are like, you have an elected MP, or you are polling 5% in the national polls, or I forget what the third one is, you got a certain number of votes in the last election, I think. Uh, and in that case, Blanchette had a pretty strong case of being there, because a lot of Quebecers do vote bloc, and so it's a chance for the Anglo-Quebecers, I guess, to evaluate him. It's just kind of a waste of time for the rest of Canada, though.
1: Yeah, I, I feel this would be a lot better, though, if we had a series of debates and not just one French, one English, and the TVA debate, which is also French. But
0: You'd have to talk Trudeau reason, into that, though.
1: Yeah, which for some reason is the only de- non-official debate that happens. and uh, I've not seen anything great coming out of this debate commission that got set up. Uh, what was it first Trudeau term? I think just this is the second round of debate commission debates, and it just is no better than it was before, and in some ways is worse.
0: Yeah, let's bring it back to Blanchette himself, though. Like, he's there. Um, I am not the simp, like, it's weird because there were some questions he answered because he has only a regional. Care. he only has a regional party right he doesn't need to take all the questions as seriously so on a pipeline question he can be like i don't want any pipelines screw it uh but he gets asked for, like foreign policy questions and housing policy ones where he's like making up answers on the spot and so i kind of viewed him as like the comic relief where it's just kind of the lighthearted, you know there's the guy in the corner just like taking it easy he was pretty chill through it i think he was the most relaxed of any of the leaders probably because well, he- the stakes were not high for him
1: the only time he wasn't relaxed was when he was constantly checking the clock and trying to get more time to speak
0: or when people were calling him racist because That's he it. was being quite you know he took the whole reconciliation section and turned it into a question about quebec as a nation and deserves to be equally treated which
1: if nothing else is it's on brand
0: yeah let's move from him though i don't want to talk to, about blanchette too much anime paul her chance to introduce herself to most canadians how did it go
1: so i'll start with the french debate yesterday and that was a big missed opportunity or negative on her part i think i forgot she was on stage several times during that debate very little presence more here um Generally, mostly in the times when asked a direct question, didn't really get in on the actual debate part of the debate for the most part, and seemed content to do the very green party thing of why can't we all just get along?
0: She answered a lot of questions with "You need to elect green MPs so we can do politics differently." Actually, I think at one point she like really just made a plea for one or two green MPs. Like, not explicitly, but was like, you need at least some of us there, please. So, like, it wasn't the worst debate performance I've seen, but it wasn't strong. It did feel a bit forgettable. Um, She struggled to, you know, grab attention, uh, got talked over, which does come on the sexism and racism, but within her own time she did have to speak, she didn't, you know, pitch down a bunch of very specific policies of what the Green Party would do that the other parties aren't doing.
1: Yeah, you didn't get a good sense of kind of what the value proposition for having a bunch of Green MPs would be, or or in theory a Green government, because that is in theory what all of them except Blanchet are pitching.
0: next up we have justin trudeau he brought his he brought the energy i guess he was definitely the fastest talker tonight
1: he was the feistiest one for sure weirdly yeah which i don't necessarily think was to his benefit
0: it was yelly like it in most sections it was combative and argumentative and then the aptn journalist was asking him questions and he like you know, pointed questions about his record on reconciliation, and he's like shooting back at this Indigenous journalist, being like, "You don't know what we've done." And it's like, and, uh, and when
1: they tried to end the segment, he said, "We're not done here."
0: Yeah, it was patronizing, which and paternalistic, which is like the biggest knocks against the Trudeau brand, and he just like leaned into it hard. Like the, there was the only
1: yeah, kind of the only thing Trudeau does that is it. Sorry, let me rephrase. The only th- bad Trudeau mannerism that wasn't on display here was that kind of very sanctimonious preachy voice he does when he's uh giving speeches or lecturing or whatnot um absent here but all of those other bad habits were on full display he reminded me most of Andrew Scheer actually from the 2019 debates in that very argumentative, always on the attack, definitely kind of the the scrapper in the debate, and I don't think that served him well
0: like he felt even when more he, like was he was bringing out his own policies and talking through his own numbers, he was doing it in a like angry attack dog loud sort of yeah loud voice, just really hammering it, and it's like you could you could tone it down. I'm used to a slower, softer-spoken Trudeau, the one that's full of ums and ahs. That wasn't here. He felt like I, he was I, actually, to... I actually almost expected him and Jugmeet Singh to break out fisticuffs at one point when they were arguing over like, I forget which specific policy. I think it was when uh, Singh was accusing him of uh, suing Indigenous children, and Trudeau was like, that's not true.
1: And yeah, that was, the, the, I think, the most heated Singh-Trudeau section there. <sighs> Trudeau really felt like he was playing the role of Opposition Leader in this. He spent more time, I think, attacking um, Aaron O'Toole's record than Aaron O'Toole spent attacking Trudeau's record, and there's a cliché out there that uh, you get the job you campaign for, and both tonight and for the first two and a half weeks of the campaign, It really felt like Trudeau was campaigning for the leader of the opposition
0: job. He might just get it. Uh, Next up, Jugmeet Singh. Um, It was a mixed bag for him. I don't think he did badly, but there were fewer strong points than I think he had in even 2019.
1: Maybe. My recollection of the 2019 debates from him was kind of very bland, even even handed. You know, mates the typical lines about how, oh, the liberals and the conservatives are all the same and whatnot.
0: But, he had those tonight.
1: Yeah, but I, I, I'm not much of an NDP voter, so uh, maybe I'm not the target audience here, but it became kind of left of center white noise to me in a lot of it, and there was nothing really that stood out
0: i gonna be honest, a lot of the debate felt like white noise. Maybe it was because I was being too distracted in chats and stuff like that. But for Singh's part, like he had some strong points, but and he's really good on the empathy part and talking about anecdotes, but then it comes back to, you know, what is your specific policy on this? And he could say the big words like taxing billionaires and pharmacare, care, but kind of like the platform for the NDP, there's, the substance is short. These specifics are still weak. And it begs that question of like, what would you actually be able to follow through with? Um, in the chat, they mentioned drug decriminalization was an qu- issue where, you know, I thought he did have a very strong answer when they were talking about the overdose epidemic of, you know, we need to be willing to do things on this we need to react to this and we need to be willing to follow the evidence and do what needs to be done but he didn't quite get there to taking something bold and saying something that they would do beyond just you know take it seriously or have a bold plan like the two biggest things thing offered were being a different choice which he repeatedly said then the conservatives or liberals and having a bold plan you
1: can't, you can't forget courage
0: yes and whatever their platform is, stronger, uh, stronger together. St- uh, better as possible, better I Better as possible, there we go.
1: I think that was it. Uh, yeah, that, I, I noticed O'Toole, Trudeau, and Singh each got their catchphrases in. Did not hear that from uh, Blanchette or Paul.
0: To be fair, I don't know what the Green Party's motto is for this campaign. Or,
1: or the or or the Blocks one. Well,
0: the Blox one would be in French. and
1: I was going to say, it doesn't tra- might not translate well. It might be one of those things that only works in French.
0: It's one of those things Blanchette would have to ask the other uh, candidates, how do you translate this in English? And Trudeau answered him like two or three times, which was kind it's of funny. It's a nice moment. Yeah. Yeah, t- telling him what... Uh Social is housing is.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember the French. It's like logement uh, public or something. I, I can't quite. Yeah,
0: that. he called it social lodging in English the second time. You know, it was amusing. It was cute. But, yeah, then he did all the racist things. So, Aaron O'Toole, the most to gain tonight.
1: So, I'm not sure he landed any knockout blows. He had a, a really good exchange uh, where I think he came across really well on... Uh, kind of foreign policy, standing up for uh, human rights against the uh, detention of the two Michaels, all of that stuff. That that was a really good moment for him. And a few other ones on kind of the, you know, you have to show up, you actually have to deliver stuff, lines against Trudeau. and that, Those were fine. I'm not sure they're going to win many votes.
0: I'll just note, it was interesting. They squeezed foreign policy into the leadership section. It's almost like the journalists were watching on Twitter when people were like, we're not talking foreign policy at all. And then we got questions on Afghanistan and the two Michaels in there. Although Isn't everyone's to... answer was the same on the two Michaels, so that was just boring.
1: Well, no, there, there was differences between throwing tomatoes versus uh, standing firm kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um,
0: Trudeau's line. Uh, you can't lob tomatoes across the Pacific.
1: Yes. And then I, I will give Blanchett credit uh here he had a pretty good retort about um, th- there's a middle ground between lobbing tomatoes and doing nothing, or something
0: like that. I I wish I'd jotted Oh, it yeah, out. he was king of the one liners tonight.
1: Yeah, he-, he did fine there. I mean, I'm not sure that's a reason to have someone add a debate um,
0: or to vote for them.
1: Yeah. Uh, but circling back to O'Toole, uh, the thing I think he did well here was that he presented himself as someone that i think canadians should feel comfortable voting for like if you're not you know an ideologue or someone who's really passionate about a couple of the issues that you'll never vote conservative because of those issues and you're just kind of like a eh, undecided canadian trying to decide who to vote for like yeah maybe you could vote conservative maybe not but you you didn't really like what uh the party looked like under sheer that That kind of voter, I think, came away from this probably pretty reassured, and in that sense, he did quite well. The one thing I don't necessarily know if he did was gave people a strong reason to vote for him, as opposed to Trudeau.
0: Yeah, I saw in, I was in a couple leftist chats or following a few others while this was all happening, in addition to being in the, like, in boot slack, so it was just busy, and that's maybe why I was distracted. But like Nora Loreto prominent leftist commentator lover or hater noted that O'Toole's performance was successful in terms of being not scary in terms of being calm in terms of exactly what you just said like giving voters something reassuring and calm and quiet. you know he was the stable presence at the debate where you know, he didn't, I don't think he scared people off, which is what the conservatives needed to do. Now, was he able to deliver a reason to vote for them? He was good on his plan. He knew his platform inside and out. I don't think he had strong answers to, well, isn't your caucus full of a bunch of like wing nuts and people who oppose your policies, like your climate policy. He just tried to pivot away from those and didn't have, he eventually did say, you know, I'm the one driving the bus, but had to be pushed to get there.
1: On the other hand, it's often ever great, just as a matter of strategy, to kind of reinforce the, the merits of the argument by diving into them. So from a tactical point of view, I can kind of see the why he went the way he did on that. It probably made a fair bit of sense. Um, I lost my train.
0: So O'Toole's... So, yeah, I- did well. Like like you said, there were no knockouts in this. There's no you know, hashtag fail moments. There's no you haven't shown up for work kind of points about... Yeah, there's
1: that. no you had the option, sir. Yeah. Uh, what um, Prime Ministerial is kind of a little hard to define in the eye of the beholder, but to the extent that anyone looked Prime Ministerial, I think probably O'Toole did more so than the others. Def- definitely more than Trudeau for the reasons we talked about. Um, I think between him and Senate, it may be a little more in the eye. I think the, the world, challenge
0: for O'Toole, though, is what he presented tonight was, you know, cal- like calm conservatism, which just might not be what people want or are looking for. Like, we're coming out of a pandemic where affordability and cost of living and these major concerns about the economy in a personal sense rather than the budget deficit are the top of mind concerns. And when your presentation is, you know, I accept climate change is real, and I will do like the bare minimum conservatives can do because that's all I think we can reasonably do. It's like, well, that's better than nothing, but is that enough for the time? Is that enough for the era we're living in? And will that, like you say, bring votes around?
1: So I think there may be something to that uh, position you struck on that because... Yeah, it has been a stressful time for a lot of Canadians, and a, honestly, a bunch of us are probably looking forward to kind of things going back to normal, uh, a kind of, you know, steady hand on the tiller, but nothing, you know, too exciting. We, we've we had radical. We've had, not necessarily because of the government, but we've had kind of a couple of years of upsiding the apple cart quite a bit, and that kind of Not super exciting. You don't have to think about what's happening in Ottawa every day. Sort of energy is something I could see being very appealing to a lot of people.
0: I guess there's there's obviously more than two electorates, but there's at least two electorates. Like there are the people who are fairly well off, comfortable, whether they're you know employed full time, homeowners like me, or even just employed full time and pretty comfortable off like you that can be appealing, right? Neither of us have significant, like I have childcare costs that are significant and way heavy at the front of my mind. And the conservative platform is not good on ter, in terms of childcare costs, no matter how much he can talk about choice right now, when you're in BC or Quebec, where you have a pathway. Like I can see the Albertan and Prairie conservative or voters who aren't likely to get childcare $10 a day anytime soon because their governments are reticent not thinking about it as much, but to bring it back, you have people who aren't as stable, um, people who are economically precarious, um, and those are the people who probably aren't as swayed. Now, I don't know which is the bigger block, but the one that's more likely to vote are those who are better off, And, and especially older people. And so I think if it's like uh, when the question was raised about housing to Jugmeet Singh, like, you know, how do you convince homeowners to sacrifice their equity and care about the housing crisis? And he talked about, you know, the people he talks to talk about their kids and their kids' ability to afford a home. And I thought that was a strong answer at the start until he then, you know, dodged the rest of the question. That's where, you know, do these, I've just like gone five different directions in this statement and I've just (laughs) lost myself. But I guess O'Toole's trying to appeal to people who are pretty comfortable and are coming out of this better off than, you know, they came off. It's been talked about the K-shaped recovery with some people doing a lot better. Um, The Conservatives do need to appeal to more than just the well-off. Maybe some of the worker platform stuff, and talking about doubling the worker benefit gets through there, but you know, yeah, at least he talked about policy. I appreciated that.
1: Yeah, I think there's enough there that uh, people maybe not well off, but not feeling excessively stressed. Can also be reassured there? Um, and people also vote on more than just you know pure economic self-interest too, and there may be some alignments there that conservatives can do well on.
0: Well, let's go through the debate kind of in order of the sections with more random thoughts coming out because, like we said, we didn't thoroughly plan this. Um, First off the top, leadership and accountability. We don't get opening statements. I think that was the same as last year because openings... They just just decided opening statements are bad, but they're going to happen.
1: Yeah, everyone's going to do them anyway. So rather than having them not answer the first question and spend 40 of their 45 seconds doing their opening statement. And maybe if they're feeling particularly generous, squeeze in the actual answer to it, just give them a block of time to do opening statements. There's five of them. Give them a minute each.
0: Give them 30 seconds.
1: That's five minutes out of a two hour debate. They could have afforded that. How, you know, cut one of the reporters who came in for a little bit. That that would have been fine.
0: So leadership and accountability, and I guess foreign policy at the same time, because most of the questions ended up being more about foreign policy. I guess they did ask sort of intro questions to each that were kind of hardballs, except for the NDP's one that was like, "You're so popular, how yeah, do?" What the
1: hell was with <laughs> that?
0: So, I, th- I think the way that it was framed, meant to be framed in terms of like, um, O'Toole's was around like, how do people trust that you can control your caucus? Uh, Trudeau's was, why haven't you done all the shit you would have promised to do by this point? Uh, sing, to Paul, to Enemy Paul, it was like, your party's in disarray, how will you govern? Uh, to Sing, I think the idea was, you're gaining in momentum, but how do you translate that personal popularity into actual trust if your platform doesn't like the ndp have never governed it's the question you know the question is the ndp have never governed what how do you prove that you would be you're ready and yeah, they didn't they, quite maybe they
1: should have answered asked that question it, it was weird and felt out of step with the other answer or other questions which were much more pointed and it's just bad form for a moderator to. Oh yeah,
0: and that's the one present. where they, it was like, uh, Mister Blanchet, pro- you support a bunch of racist laws in your province. How do you defend that? And he's like, they're not racist; they're Quebec laws. And she's like, no, they're so racist. Why do you support them? And he's like, how dare you? Quebec is great. I keep yeah, bringing now, it back to him. Yeah, I'm now sorry. I,
1: I don't think you know. Seeing stood out heads and shoulders above the rest, or that there was anything. Kind of in the later moderation but if there had been a hint at that like that that's the sort of thing that could potentially kind of damage public trust in the debate which shouldn't have been done
0: the other bit in that first section was more foreign policy related like I said the question on the Michaels and what would you have done what would you have done differently when it comes to Afghanistan it's like there's not like Every country, I think someone said in the Slack, is every country has bungled it to some level. Like things happened fast. What exactly could they have done differently? Like the only person I can think of in recent Canadian political history who might have had a better answer is Jack Layton because he was the guy who got nicknamed Taliban Jack in his first election because he was like, we should probably talk to the Taliban at some point. And then we've had a decade of columns like, maybe he was right. Like, not in terms of be friends with them but at least recognize that those people are going to continue to be around I wish I wish Singh would have gone there Yeah well, I, I think the
1: real event. opportunity that I don't think anyone really pushed on was well, what what about the time before August when we could have gotten those people out well ahead of time So our combat operations ended in 2011 and our final troops left in 2014 So that's basically 10 years since we were in active combat in there. That is a long time to get every translator, every person who helped us, out of the country. And why were people rushing in the final week to try and get people out through one airport that had limited capacity? Uh, That is the real failure here. And nobody really pushed on kind of what six years meant here despite the fact that six years got a lot in the other sections
0: yeah and the question about china and the two michaels was similar they were just all like we need to press harder you know it's it's the question you can't easily answer when you're not prime minister and in the hot seat
1: yeah i, I think O'Toole. i'm sorry i think O'Toole had a statement along the lines of you know." building alliances and that stuff, which is good, but was passed over pretty briefly and should have honestly been elaborated on because that is really the only solution to that problem has to be to to work with our allies on it because we just don't have enough leverage otherwise.
0: Was it Blanchette who called us the laughingstock of the world?
1: I think he was the most critical of Candace Place. and
0: Yeah, I think he also had a like weirdly good answer from a slightly different perspective in terms of like we need to be built like building different alliances and finding support elsewhere like
1: yeah so Canada's a country that has very high opinions of itself that is just not backed up uh you know we like to think of ourselves as a G7 nation we constantly try and get on security council seats but for the most part like we don't have as much influence as we'd like to pretend. We're not kind of this in neutral third party—the kind of a phrase you don't hear much anymore, but used to kind of ten years ago was kind of the honest broker sort of thing. And like, we're we're part of an alliance system, and we actually need to think about ourselves kind of in that contest And it's just not a a framework Canadians are used to thinking in or even discussing. Well, I think.
0: We either need to do that and accept kind of our position as a vassal to the u.s foreign policy or we need to establish that we need to do a hard break from it and not necessarily even a hard break but be willing to break from it at times like the reason we're arguably in the michael's mess is because we just kind of went along with the u.s request to detain Meng wangzhou and I was really hoping Blanchette would have just gone free Meng Wanzhou just to be like the shit disturber he was there to be, but he didn't. So I was disappointed in him for that. But so, yeah. that wasn't going to happen.
1: On the court. Um, yeah, but that, that actually does raise a good point about the U.S. And uh, Afghanistan is important, but in terms of looking forward, what I would have actually rather have talked about is what about our relationship with the U.S.? Because. It was this year that they nearly had a coup. Uh, There was almost a constitutional crisis. They are in a bad spot, and they've been in a bad spot for four years at least. And we, our economy, our trade, our foreign policy, and defense are pretty integrally tied. The only reason we're a G7 nation is just the U.S. wanted someone from North America uh, to balance off against the Europeans in that, because we're not actually in the top seven economies. Um, so, how we deal with that, because, yeah, Biden's better than Trump, but they're very much pulling inward, um, and what that means for Canada, and even if they stop their inward pull, they have a lot of internal political problems, which could manifest themselves in two to four years' time, and how is our next Prime Minister going to be thinking about it? Something that really should have been asked about.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, the only thing I'll note before we move on to the next section was, the other thing I learned in this section on not officially foreign policy was Annamie's Paul's husband was an Afghan diplomat, or a diplomat to Afghanistan, Or I missed exactly, but she was involved in that, or he was involved in that, which is fascinating and quite interesting so she had kind of an interesting answer from that perspective but otherwise it was like talk more and do more
1: yeah I think this was yeah speaking of all I think this was also the session that featured the uh, the one good Trudeau dunt which was I won't be lectured about caucus management from you Paul um d- directed at Paul after I forget even what led up to that exchange it was a little undone by the difference in stature between the two
0: yeah he kind of brought it was a good line except the way he delivered it was with his hyper aggressive tone that he was using through the whole night and the fact it was very early on and he just jumped over paul on it who was making a point on and on throughout the night about being the only woman on stage how there haven't been many women in recent years it was
1: actually probably good for him that it happened early on because at that point, we hadn't really seen kind of the the scrappy angry Trudeau come out yet. that was kind of the first sign of it so if it had been at the end, I think people would have reacted worse to that.
0: The next section should have been Pauls to own the climate section. I can't really remember what she basically did in that section other than suggested that you know having greens in ottawa is good to diffuse the toxic nature of it and having some would be useful Uh,
1: i think there's pretty much the standard green party spiel on it 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 was not that memorable because it was pretty much the standard spiel and effectively white noise on there and i think this also just goes to trouble the green party's having of it was one thing when they were the only party talking about this stuff really. But now that everybody is doing it kind of, why is the green party there?
0: To, to be the fourth choice. (laughs) So the one thing that kept coming up for Trudeau was this idea of like, are you meeting your debate? Are you meeting your targets? And He took a weird tack tonight trying to argue that they've not missed a single target, they're still on track, and I think the idea of the argument was the targets are for 2025 or 2030, and we're not there yet, so we haven't seen if we'll miss them, which is some fun math and ways to move the goalposts.
1: Chris, there were targets before 2021 at some points that Trudeau inherited that didn't get met.
0: Yeah, but that's Harper's fault. Because he did reference the government he inherited from the. Yeah.
1: And, previous and I also don't think they're all on track to meet their targets. They have said either.
0: No, I think I've seen most uh, reputable claims say we're not. Actually, that's where Singh and Trudeau got into the first big scrap, was over whose climate plan is more uh, reputable. Because Trudeau kept saying his is the only one greater than A, and Singh's is greater than F. And Trudeau said. You know, you don't get to grade me.
1: No, no, it was, um, Singh said, I, I rate your record an F, to, to which Trudeau responded, You don't get to rate.
0: Which, it was a fun little back and forth, but it was leaning very heavily on a single report, which, you know, wasn't an invalid analysis, but it was one look and one consideration of the plans. So it was a weird obsession. I did like that after that, uh, Anime Paul brought up that she had five PhDs on her shadow cabinet. Just a weird flex that I think made Is, her feel it's good. It's like the
1: most green party flex possible?
0: Yeah, we have no MPs on our shadow cabinet, but we have five PhDs. It's kind of sad how bad the climate section was given how big of a crisis it is
1: I feel like that for most of the sections really like none of them really drilled down
0: no uh, I you know I, four I did uh, kind of defend cap-and-trade for some reason
1: oh yeah because of his because uh, he was getting hit on his record as Quebec environment, environment minister and he's like uh, so he brought that up Um <laughs> O'Toole obviously got criticism uh, on his plan Uh, that was I think it's nobody really drilled into the somewhat silly carbon account personal carbon account things Um, yeah they just kind of accepted
0: that he had carbon pricing but not where the money went
1: which is honestly the weirdest part of it and I I suppose the one good thing that like nobody we're not likely to get a majority government, so probably isn't the votes for that in any likely outcome, Uh, changing from carbon pricing to that, um, no matter if it's a conservative plurality or a uh, uh, liberal plurality.
0: It did Um, seem tonight like Blanchett was angling again, and I think this happened previously, uh, to be more supportive of the conservatives, or at least not, you know, he hasn't ruled it out, and it seemed like there could be block votes for a conservative minority if it came down to it.
1: Yeah, those are parties that do have some history. I mean Luci- Lucien Lucien Biar- I cannot
0: pronounce French names. A plus pronunciation. We get yeah, you know, nailed on it all, all the time. <laughs> Lucien Bouchard.
1: Yeah. Bouchard Br- was he was I think a PC cabinet minister before uh, going off. He was in the Mulroney government if I recall um and the kind of they have similar-ish views on federalism that can uh have some symmetry to that and like i think we maybe overrate the kind of quebec first conservative thing because uh harper and sheer were kind of from the western reform uh part of the party that does not have a great history with quebec in a lot of ways but for someone who's kind of more that like Ontario PC person, there's, I think, more room for cooperation and less kind of inherent distrust between uh, uh, Quebec oriented parties and the Conservatives.
0: Yeah, I mean, the only thing that might complicate it is historically the Bloc and the Parti Québécois in particular have been more, somewhat more social democratic in nature than. Like, there's center left parties when they do govern in Quebec. But, you know, you make strong points. there, And the Bloc doesn't really care who's in government so much as the checks flow. Yeah. And, you know, the rights flow to Quebec. So.
1: And, yeah. If there's one thing you can say about Atul's platform, it's not shy on the checks. Um, yeah. The, the only other thing I think I'll mention on the, the climate stuff in relation to Atul before we can, uh, move on is that how does tact when it came to the person as- asking the question kind of interesting is really le- leaning on kind of show himself as emotionally connected to the issue rather than drilling down into a and policy list of items which I think other conservative leaders may have wanted to do in that scenario and I think it's another example of trying to sand off the rough edges and present himself as someone Canadians can be comfortable with
0: which was the question where he was asked where he talked about being raised by two strong women. Oh, uh... I forget where in it what that came up, but that confused a lot of people online who suddenly wondered if he had lesbian mothers, and I don't think that's I don't think case.
1: that was it. Um, yeah, I cannot recall off the top of my head what the question on that was. I think it may have been on, like, affordability or one of those...
0: Yeah. There's an interesting line, though, and one that you know tied back to feminism. I like, I did see Paul get in there. The I don't believe you're a feminist, Justin Trudeau, and I think that upset him as well. He really doesn't like being criticized. It's not a good, fe- you know, not a good feature in a prime minister.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh. So next up was reconciliation as. Obvious, I'm wearing the Every Child Matters orange shirt. Uh, Basically, because I was predicting I'd be disappointed by the conversation on reconciliation at the debate. And I mostly was. I was especially wowed by Yves Francois Blanchette's decision to equate, you know, being Quebecois with being, you know, an indigenous nation was a choice
1: yeah I, th- that's the sort of thing that really does not play well in English Canada um, I,
0: yeah it might work for his base and that's I yeah, guess all well, he needs to do
1: so I, I don't pretend to have any great insight into uh, Quebec culture and the and the mindset there but the we were conjured by the English thing looms pretty large in the collective memory there and it does... I can see why when you try mate make an emotional connection coming from that um, perspective, what that is what you get drawn to. If, if, if you're not like thinking it through very carefully. It, it strikes me as a very natural spot for a lot of Quebecers to go.
0: Oh, and this reminds me, in terms of uh, Indigenous issues, is... The one cringe moment I, or one of the cringe moments I had for O'Toole was when he was talking, about trying to defend oil, and I think this came up in the climate section. So I'll just circle back. Is he was talking about, you know, why we need to keep the oil industry flowing in Canada? Was this ethical oil line that goes around conservative circles, where if we're not producing Canadian oil, the world's going to use dirty, unethical, you know, Saudi and Venezuelan oil, where they don't respect. Uh, human rights, and he brought up indigenous treaties, and it kind of undermines his understanding of much of the world, in the idea that, like, there aren't indigenous people of Saudi Arabia the same way in Canada. Like, Saudi Arabia is not a colonized country. Saudi no, Arabia's people are indigenous, and...
1: Although, you, you, maybe you think about Venezuela. Venezuela in that case? Although,
0: please. I would be... I don't know exactly the Chavez and Maduro regime's relationship with indigenous people.
1: I mean, I, I'm probably it's like better than like the
0: Bolsonaro's. Pardon? Sorry. I was going to say, it's probably better than the Bolsonaro regime's relationship with indigenous people. Yeah. Which is bad.
1: Well, I mean, that's a very low bar. Yeah. My impression is the Venezuelan regime isn't particularly friendly to anyone that isn't like, an inner circle <laughs> member of the Venezuelan regime.
0: So, but it was it was a weird debate that or it was a weird idea I think that mostly only conservatives and Albertans care about like this ethical oil like the world's going to use needs oil from somewhere so we may as well pump as much out of the ground and I think it's less and less convincing to people each year as especially as we see the world shift in fuel consumption.
1: Yeah, that that felt more like a message to the base more than anything else. I, I don't think that's a vote winner.
0: Um, but on reconciliation, uh, O'Toole got asked kind of a couple pointed questions. He brought up Jody Wilson-Raybould at least three times, I think. Everyone,
1: pretty much everyone did. I, I think.
0: Oh, I thought it was mostly him.
1: Uh, Paul brought her up a okay. lot. I think Singh may have done it once or twice.
0: Uh, Trudeau didn't.
1: Yeah. I don't think Blanchette did either.
0: Yeah. Blaschet didn't much have much to say about indigenous people as we took, talked about, but um, O'Toole's other big question was about implementing UNDRIP, which I was actually hoping would be asked and was glad to see. And he had a really interesting answer there that I, where he talked about how, you know, they, had, they have concerns within the conservative party about what does free prior and informed consent mean and will that hamstring resource development, but they brought on an advisor uh, and I missed the name it was a it sounded like a prominent chief uh, or someone who's been involved at national level indigenous affairs politics um, to help the party uh, reconcile their position on undrip as it were and kind of bring it on side which is a good step forward it does beg the question of like did they find the convenient person to you know agree with their policy or you know convince them that their policy is okay or frame it in a way that's okay for them or will it be one that is accepted by most nations Because they, but it is interesting to see them move forward on it and that goes back to the soften the edges you've talked about
1: yeah. uh, I think the only other thing I'll mention on this segment was uh, the live question or portion of this had I think the best moment of the debate with uh, was it Merrick I think was the the I think that
0: name? was his name.
1: Yeah, who um, in an amusing moment uh, I think maybe got a little flustered and started s- and said oh shit by accident during the live Yeah, which I stuttered. Did not- and- yeah, I did not know these things were filmed live, which I don't really get the point of why why they went pre-record, but
0: uh, That was amusing. He was adorable. Yeah, they also uh, asked my, him my- at the end, like, did they answer your question? And he was like, I guess we're okay
1: there's about a minute there where my entire twitter feed was basically filled up with go merrick posts
0: yeah he's the hero of the night definitely we'll all vote for you merrick um
1: yeah so yeah the two standouts i think were the was it charles or charles with the dinosaur shirt the kid from the french debate and then yeah merrick
0: uh, definitely more memorable than the uh, media people. candidates oh the media people uh, uh, more than
1: some of the candidates, too.
0: Yeah. Uh, O'Toole uh, also was asked about, or he wasn't even asked. It was in the open debate. He was going off with Trudeau, because Trudeau had brought up the fact uh, O'Toole had wanted to lower the flags and... You mean raise them. In, or raise them again, because they're still lowered from uh, the discovery of the unmarked graves. And O'Toole tonight said he would raise them on September 30th the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation which the way he said it sounded confident like you know I'll be Prime Minister and I'll raise the flags on September 30th to mark the churn towards reconciliation And I kinda get the idea of the symbolism there but it also sounds entire very crass like hey it's the day we are marking indigenous people and the harm we've done to you we're gonna put the flags up now
1: yeah so this came out of a prior comment he made that trudeau had brought up and in that time he said he was going to raise them out once he became prime minister uh but they would be lowered on the the national day of mourning uh september 30th so i think what happened is he just misspoke and um didn't get his position out in the right order more than although we else. did
0: see him at the previous debate change his position on the gun uh bans in canada so maybe he is rewriting policy
1: i there was one i can't recall what it was there's one other thing where like it it was a pretty clear misspeak from his platform so i think it just happened a couple times for him more than anything else
0: can we just talk we we should talk for a second about the guns issue from this past week though yeah because that took up a lot of oxygen
1: yeah not in the debate though like trudeau threw one line out near the end on it um yeah no the the whole gun debate it was pretty much the only topic we that country we talked about for a couple of days which is weird so what is it originally the cpc platform they had were going to repeal the what was it may 2020 order in council and bill c72 uh and
0: they were really hung up on the fact it was an order and council as well.
1: So th- this is a perennial complaint among gun owners, is that uh, the government can basically... Sorry, l- l- let me circle back here a little bit, because this is something you actually have to know a f- fair bit about to really get the nuance of. So the system right now, three classifications of guns, uh, prohibited, restricted, and unrestricted, um, and... In theory, those are set out by a bunch of technical characteristics written into the legislation. um, If a long gun has a barrel less than 20 inches, it becomes a prohibited weapon. Stuff like that. Um, Certain calibers, automatic fire being the big one, that automatically puts it in the prohibited category that you just cannot own. Um, But there's also a mechanism in the law that allows basically the government to decide through... What's essentially is an executive order, or we're just going to change the classification on this stuff and move things from one category to the other. That's what Trudeau did last year. Took like 10 guns and all of their variants and bumped them from restricted to prohibited. A bunch of guns that are identical in function remained legal to buy as long as you have a license. It was a weird symbolic thing that made no one any safer the conservatives wanted to repeal it, and you know, fair enough. It's an empty bit of symbolism uh, because identical guns could still be bought. Um, that was not the position O'Toole came out in the TVA debate, um, which then led to a week of back and forth on that. Eventually, they ended up updating their platform to say, no, we'll re- we'll
0: keep all of the banned guns banned. It was looking bad for O'Toole, right? Because it's like you the one can, thing that's taught, tripped him up so far. Well, and like I'm all fine. We talk about the issues with flip-flopping, and in general, we should support candidates and politicians updating their views in light of evidence and when situations change. But they should do it because of evidence, and not, and what this looked like was crass opportunism and weird, yeah, like he- political gamesmanship like they just added an asterisk to to their platform
1: if anything their original position was the more evidence-based position
0: and hell i'll even accept if he'd come out and been like you know what we've listened to canadians and canadians through some arbitrary consultation have decided that this is the way we want to go even though it makes no logical sense in terms of best Reform and most consistent gun policy. At least then it's a populist position. But this was just like, well, we were going to do this. Then I said we won't because I don't want to get raked. Like you, it was. It handled. might have been. It might have been worse than when uh, Adrian Dix flip flopped in 2013 over whether he supported pipelines in BC or not because. He went from supporting them to not halfway through the election and people are like we don't trust you on this
1: i think pipeline's probably a little more salient an issue to most canadians
0: that's that's it though like the flip-flop was worse for o'toole but the issue was less yeah impactful
1: and like it was not well handled by them for sure i, I think it was be, would have been entirely defensible to if they just cut out the specific references to the um BLC seventy five and the OIC, uh, and just talked about kind of the we want to rationalize the system sort of stuff. Anyone who owns guns and knows the system would have understood what they meant by that, and it wouldn't have opened them up to this week of attacks and taken a bunch of heat from that.
0: Well, I'm cognizant of the time, so I'll keep us moving forward. I'll close off the reconciliation section by just noting that while we're while I mentioned pipelines, Singh did get the question sharply asked about like the BC NDP seem to be facing a lot of criticism for their handling of pipeline issues like the coastal gas link and uh, reconciliation and uh, aboriginal rights and title in a number of cases how do you square that circle and he dodged the question as he usually does Uh, I think he was also asked about pipelines in the climate and he just like didn't say the word pipeline which has been his strategy for three years now.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: Would love to hear a Jugmeet sing position on a pipeline one day, <laughs> but that won't be today. Affordability though, is the NDP strong suit. Um, I think they did better on COVID recovery actually, I thought there where he talked about healthcare. The affordability section, we did get a housing question at least. Yeah. To sing in Blanchette. Like I said, Blanchette made up policy on the spot where he's like, What's the French word for uh, social housing? Yeah, that sounds good. Let's do more of that. Thanks. Thanks, Blanchette. Not a bad idea, but <laughs> Yeah. I,
1: the, the housing policy is not particularly in depth, and I, I'm honestly having trouble remembering much of what was discussed in that section at all. Got the bat. Yeah. We got back and forth around costing platforms Those i think objectives. trudeau
0: did strong on uh defending his child care plan versus the conservatives the con- oh yeah, O'Toole yeah tried just- to defend it based on choice and what you could get right now saying are it would he, be for everyone which is i think he made true. this
1: the best defense he could like I, I, there are problems with the policy but
0: he- like yeah it's just objectively it, worse but it it's cheaper yeah.
1: He he did about the best he could defend in it, and probably came off looking as good as he could out of that. Um, we got the uh, unlike Mister Trudeau. I actually care about monetary, I actually think about monetary policy, which
0: you he brought that up co- a couple times.
1: Yeah, that that was a, this was a session with the main
0: dagger got thrust on that one. I, it's a big. Do you, do you think that lands? Like, Pardon? Do you think it lands with Canadians this obsession or this focus on? Do you care about monetary p- policy? Because I, think I, I have some no. Conservatives do.
1: It. I think it will play well with conservatives, but like, I, so I know that I'm far enough away from like where normal Canadians are about thinking about this sort of stuff that I'm gonna have no pretensions that. Uh, I have a great uh, insider that I'm representative there. So I think the
0: liability for Trudeau is it plays into his like, I think unfortunate characteristic of being like the airheaded drama teacher, which is not him, but it's the, you know, caricature conservatives like to paint of Trudeau that he's thin on policy.
1: And and like going back to the original uh, press conference here in Vancouver that were that, uh, GAF came from like yeah it was a question on monetary policy but the subtext was really about inflation and affordability like Trudeau didn't realize what the question was actually about which is part of the reason why it had a little edge to it
0: yeah and I think where he was trying to go was the classic politician I don't want to talk about academic terms I want to talk about people whatever Like, everyone does that. Singh did it four or five times in terms of the anecdotes of random voters he's met. Like, the kid who says very pointedly about how much they hate the approach the government is taking. You're like, that that never happened.
1: Yeah, or the the woman from Hamilton, which I've heard about multiple times on the campaign.
0: Oh, uh, Singh's people were all, I think, from small towns in northern uh, northern communities. Uh, Finally, COVID recovery... Uh, All I know, all I wrote down from that section is that Paul would change politics to solve it.
1: The, the, The most Green Party answer possible.
0: I did appreciate that Trudeau brought it back to the fact that we're not out of the woods yet. Yeah. Like, we do actually need to get vaccines to everyone.
1: That just opened him up to a round of, well, then why did you call the election? So like I, I don't think he helped himself with that at all.
0: Uh, I also appreciated that Annamie Paul got a very direct question about, you know, do you support mandatory vaccinations or vaccine passports? And she said, we encourage everyone to get vaccinated, which was a very political dodge yes. that tells me, I wonder, well, that makes me ask, is Elizabeth May vaccinated?
1: There's probably a fifty percent chance she's not.
0: It's wild, right? The Greens on get asked the very easy question. It's like everyone else is going this way. Seventy, eighty percent of Canadians support vaccine passports of some port of some sort. Actually, younger Canadians, we I was looking at some polls earlier today, are less uh, in favor, but could be brought around. But just the Greens still have to stumble on this and like. We support vaccinations. We don't know if they should be mandatory. Yeah. Five. Ah.
1: Yeah. Well, th- there's a parallel universe where, without Trump trumping all over the place in the early parts of the pandemic, the the anti-vat stuff could have ended up being coded as like the granola lefties, rather than like a right wing thing, and like in that world, yeah, you'd probably see like the Green Party the the big anti-vaxers rather than the People's Party.
0: Yeah, but here we are. It has been quite a while, though, where I think, and this is a tangent, but I think anti-vax positions have always been slightly more strongly correlated with that libertarian sympathy, especially in the U.S. An
1: element of that, for sure. I think it was... I can't recall who it was. Someone in MacLean's, upholster, um, Bruce Anderson, I think that was it, uh, had a piece like a month or two ago where, uh, like his surveys show that like the typical anti-Vats or Canadian is something like a forty-four-year-old um, liberal voting woman from Ontario or something. So you, yeah, it's it's easy to fall into stereotypes that aren't necessarily true.
0: Well. Let's circle back to the debate and just kind of move towards closing this discussion off. We've gone over an hour, but that's fine. We actually didn't have a close time. We just generally try for a one-hour episode. And where then we, do we
1: apologize profusely to our editor when we frequently go over.
0: Yeah, we're not editing this one. It's live. Uh, where do we go from... Where does it go from here? Where's the election go from here? Uh, I don't like to say who won, who lost, because... There's rarely a clear winner- loser, but who exceeded expectations, who underperformed, How, okay. will this have an effect?
1: Okay, so nobody exceeded expectations. Um, I think Trudeau underperformed because he came off looking kind of angry. Angry, like he could. He couldn't. By the end of it, he couldn't even answer a simple question from the moderators without raising his voice and getting a little snippy about it. So... I think he came off looking badly. Paul like did absolutely nothing for her prospects. I don't think anyone's going to come away thinking, yeah, I should actually give the Green Party a shot after that. So in that respect, I think she underperformed. Blanchette neither won nor lost a single vote
0: tonight. Um... Like, neither of us can read Quebec, so maybe he did amazing, but.
1: That, that <laughs> I don't think he
0: convinced Anglo Quebecers to vote for him, so he's. Yeah. No. He his, showed up. His, his That's debate
1: all was yesterday, really. Uh, yeah. And he just hung around until today. Uh, so that leaves Saint and O'Toole, um, both of whom I think met expectations. They did not pull ahead of where they were before but neither did they step on any uh rapes or traps or, or, or whatnot here so like they, they both did fine
0: yeah i think Singh needed to do better the ndp have been sitting at 20 to 23 percent in the polls which is a good position for them like they've been in like a good holding position this entire election. They ro- rose a little just before just at the start from like the high teens and have been sitting around 20% but to I- really make the case that they should be replacing the liberals in a lot of races or you know consolidating and doing a kind of Jack Layton style rise I think he needed more and yeah. I don't think we saw it.
1: You could almost say the identical thing about the conservatives. They came up from where they were before, but they need to kind of clinch that net stage. There are a couple points down in Ontario, which if they can add, you know, three points to Ontario, they can probably flip the outcome of the election. I mean, same thing nationally, generally. Like, they're just shy of where... They're a couple points shy of where they need to be, but, like, they're not really doing that last thing to really kind of get those few extra points. And... I mean, I have no idea if every Canadian saw what I saw in Trudeau tonight, and like maybe Trudeau lost a couple points, and that's going to be enough to kind of, not so much to give O'Toole momentum, but pull back to where they're under uh, thirty points, and they can like O'Toole can squeak out a plurality in that case.
0: It's where it's really unfortunate we don't get more debates or more chances to put these leaders up against each other because like this feels like a good first try like let's do another debate where we take out blanchette and maybe we even take out paul because she's not running a full slate
1: i i would yeah i i think at the very least there should be a debate where you only get on if you have enough candidates to mathematically form government
0: um so max bernier is there yeah. Hey, Animi Paul could form government if all her candidates win. She yeah. doesn't even need them all. She has but, 250 uh, yeah. running.
1: Well, I definitely get rid of Blanchet because he shouldn't be in, a, in the debate for this. Um, I don't know. I would kind of like to, just like a O'Toole Trudeau debate. Like there are realistically two people in this race who have the potential to end it as prime minister. I would kind of like a debate just between those two. Maybe one where it's like, okay, if your party's ever yeah. maybe the NDP too, just you know, they've at least made official opposition status before. Just now that I'm thinking about it, it includes the block. Okay, stretch that <laughs> proposal. Um see
0: this is this is why it's hard to set exact criteria because our yeah. Canadian history is weird. Like it, it is. Um, like we said, the People's Party didn't get in because they weren't polling at five percent at the start of the election, but now they are, so jokes on Max Bernier, it turns out you need to do well before the election. It doesn't matter how well you're doing during the election to get in. Uh, It's going to be real sad if they get 10% of the vote.
1: Uh, They seem to have a little momentum behind them, which I was surprised to see, but they've been creeping up and crossed that 10% number uh, earlier this week. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I obviously disagree with them and would prefer Bernier not be there, but like, I have a real hard time figuring out any neutral criteria that gets Paul in there but doesn't get uh, Bernier in there. And like,
0: well, she I, has an MP or two.
1: Yeah,
0: does <laughs> Elizabeth May really count? Paul Manley's still in there.
1: Like, they don't have official party status. Like it's yeah. like I have token presence at best in the House. Um,
0: well, and the MP thing is a challenge because historically like the reform party was a serious contender in 93, but they had no, or they got one MP, but as a floor crosser. Yeah. So these criteria are hard to do. It's why you just need to have more debates. I, the one thing I never want to see is I saw one UK election where they had an opposition debate where they had everyone, but the prime minister at the debate. So so someone
1: suggested to me on Twitter of uh, having like a, you know, the, the serious debate with kind of the, the real contenders, and then like the... Junior. Oh
0: man, I would really want to see the leader of the communists go up against the leader of the Marxist-Leninists.
1: Yeah, and then you have like your junior debate, and I don't know, maybe yeah. like the fringe parties can have a third debate for themselves. Uh, what I'd really like to do is actually just an... A- one debate a week, on a topic. You get two hours to really drill into kind of the important stuff, like foreign policy, COVID, climate and just do a solid two hours every week on one of those topics and that I think would actually really kind of help things and if you actually set up the rules so that it's one per week, that's also a nice incentive not to trade it out for three months like some other elections I can think of Um, but uh, in terms of the general kind of format and kind of behind the scenes structures of it i just don't see the point of the debate commission at this point they've added nothing to it and beyond like bad topic selection like not including a foreign policy segment in this one but the french one this stupid format that has impromptu strums in part of it yeah i i just don't see the point really in formalizing it in this way. And like it's not clearly delivering anything better than the kind of get a bunch of people in a room and hammer it out informally uh, that worked in every election before 2019.
0: So we'll aim to wrap up fairly quickly, but I mean, I guess we don't formally have to, I'll throw it out to the people watching, put some questions in the comments if you want to hear us discuss them. Uh, to give you time to do that. I saw Mel ask in there and one of the debates going on is why didn't they touch on electoral reform? I mean that would have been nice to see. I think we already know the answers are that the liberals don't want it, the conservatives don't want it, the NDP and the greens want it, the bloc doesn't care as long as they get the same number of seats. Um it also feels kind But of it's settled. it's kind of been Well, yeah, it's kind of been killed by the liberals. Like the liberals really killed it the way they did, and especially after the BC debate struggled to go through.
1: We've had a series of provinces look at this and decide not to do it. Like it really feels like it's been litigated, and as much as we may like electoral reform, we we didn't win that one, and like it's probably not a major issue and particularly compared to kind of the main topics we talked about here, we barely scratched the surface of those and it feels slightly too niche. I mean, no, no offense to the electoral reform people, but it didn't quite raise to the level of you know COVID or affordability or any of those. And those ones we didn't even really talk about in detail.
0: Yeah. The NDP have it in their platform. Uh, I forget the exact promise. I, I think, think it's a, it's a
1: proportional. At they it's work. either
0: that, or I think the platform, promise is to do like a citizens assembly kind of thing I and think the
1: greens might go. be citizens assembly and the yeah. the, the NDP've always just been upfront about what their preferred system is and who knows yeah. if we end up uh, another like 2019 outcome where the conservatives win the popular vote but lose the seat count maybe they'll come around on this God
0: I'm not seeing other questions jump in there yet what else came up in the debate or in the chat uh people think we should have pub nights again i think that's a great idea we've done them in the past we'll probably do them post-covid i live in coquitlam now so it's just a pain in the ass to get downtown
1: uh, that's your fault for moving out to the suburbs
0: uh i blame trudeau for not making this country more affordable to buy housing <laughs> and horgan and all the mayors Although, I wanted a bigger house, so I kind of had to move out further. I think we can probably wrap it up there. We'll keep chatting with all our fans in the Patreon Slack. If you haven't joined them, patreon.com slash politicoast. Thank you. I saw between, well, nine people right now and 15 watching live with several dozen more playbacks. So thank you all for watching live. It makes it more fun to do it this way, I think.
1: Yeah, um, advanced polls open tomorrow, I believe. So uh, if you haven't, uh, or if you've made up your mind, I guess get out and vote, or if you haven't gotten the uh, mail-in ballots, I believe deadline to request those is the 14th.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go vote tomorrow or this weekend, because it's just that easy. Until next week, when maybe we'll try and get candidates on... We have to figure out content. It's last week, there'll be they, last we, more.
1: He saw Last report before the election. I, I'm sure
0: there'll be something to... We didn't you know, talk about was, the green platform. Neither of us have really read the green platform, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I, I
1: controlled F through a bit, bit of it. Saw they want to ban nuclear power in Canada. I was like, eh, this is not a serious platform.
0: It's a green platform, Scott. It's exactly what you'd expect. It does not mention homeopathy or alternative medicine, so I'll give them props for that.
1: That is good. Oddly enough, they right. want to do to charter cities which feels like something you'd read in the libertarian platform not the uh green party one
0: well until next week as always this is politicoast thanks for listening